You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. On further review, the Ukrainian electrical grid hack seems to have been designed to do far more damage than it actually accomplished. Inferat is scouting for access to cryptocurrency wallets. A sophisticated threat actor is using Simjacker for surveillance on phones in the Middle East. The Cynet 16 have been announced. A penetration test goes bad due to a misunderstanding of scope. And Baltimore decides, hey, you know, it might be a good idea to back up our files. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, September 13th, 2019. The industrial security specialists at Dragos have published a reassessment of the 2016 crash override attack on a portion of Ukraine's power grid. They now believe that the attack was probably intended to disrupt operations for weeks or months, as opposed to the hours the actual outage lasted. They also think that the threat actor, which they track as Electrum, and which is widely regarded as working on behalf of Russian intelligence, intended the destruction of some pieces of equipment. Electrum now seems to be taking an interest in other sectors' industrial control systems, and those interests appear to extend beyond Ukraine. So, as troubling as the attacks were, Dragos thinks Ukraine actually dodged the metaphorical bullet— One of the tools they found when investigating the incident seems to have been designed to induce a denial-of-service condition on protective relays. Thus, once power was restored, the relays would no longer provide the overcurrent protection they were designed to deliver. This is troubling because it would have exposed transmission equipment to power surges that could have physically damaged them, requiring lengthy repair or even replacement. Some of these devices have long replacement lead times, and this could have disrupted power delivery for an extended period of time. Why didn't this happen? For two reasons. First, the attackers apparently affected fewer relays than intended, and second, their DDoS code was flawed and not as effective as they'd have hoped. But the whole matter is sobering, and one hopes is being taken with due seriousness by utilities everywhere. Again, it's not just Ukraine, and it's not just power distribution— Think in terms of risks to water and other essentials, too. Security firm Zscaler has described Inferat, a remote-access trojan designed to steal cryptocurrency wallet information. It looks like a criminal operation. 
The rat does what most rats do: goes after access and information. But it's particularly interested not only in cryptocurrencies but also in the browser cookies where coin wallet usernames and passwords are so often stashed. It's also capable of taking screenshots for much the same purpose, and it's armed with the usual array of enabling tools like keeping an eye out for active antivirus software. Adaptive Mobile Security yesterday announced the discovery of SimJacker. A vulnerability and associated exploits in which an SMS is used to effectively hijack a mobile device's SIM card. The company says that a sophisticated threat actor has been exploiting SimJacker in the wild for at least two years. The attacks collect geolocation data and other information from the affected phones. The purpose of the exploitation appears to be surveillance. Most of the affected devices have been in the Middle East. Adaptive Mobile says that while geolocation seems to be of most interest to the current attackers, SimJacker could also be used for other purposes, like distributing disinformation by SMS. The Cynet 16 have been announced. This annual selection of the most innovative, potentially disruptive companies in the cybersecurity industry picks 16 winners from an international pool of applicants. This year's selection was made from among 161 companies based in 18 countries. From North America to Europe to Asia and to Oceania, some of these names you may already be familiar with, but you're likely to hear more from and about them in the future. In reverse alphabetical order, the Cynet 16 class of 2019 includes XM Cyber, which specializes in fully automatic breach and attack simulation that enables customers to recognize attack vectors and prioritize their remediation. Tigera. Whose zero trust network security supports continuous compliance for Kubernetes platforms across a range of environments, tempered networks, which provides simple and affordable means of segmenting and isolating control systems and industrial Internet of Things devices, Sunrise Security with a cloud data control service that delivers a risk model for identity and data relationships across a range of cloud and third-party data stores, Simplify, an independent security orchestration, automation, and response provider. Whose workbench enables enterprises and managed security service providers to manage and respond to cyber threats. OPAC delivers security as a service from its cloud that enables enterprises to overcome staffing and management challenges in the protection of their IT infrastructure. Kena Security, whose platform delivers cyber risk predictions that enable security teams to get ahead of exploitation. Caramba's embedded cybersecurity solutions protect connected systems with automated runtime integrity software that does particularly well against remote code execution. Cyberspons, which offers an automated incident response orchestration platform that automates security tools to make human experts more effective. CryptoMove, whose continuous moving target defense and distributed fragmentation offers a new approach to data protection for managing keys and DevSecOps secrets. Big ID, a machine learning shop that enables personal data discovery, correlation, and privacy automation for compliance at scale with regulations like GDPR and CCPA. Balbix, whose specialized artificial intelligence deliver continuous and predictive assessment of breach risk. Awake Security, which offers advanced network traffic analysis for a privacy-aware solution that can detect and visualize incidents in full forensic context. Arcos Labs, which solves fraud by pairing global telemetry with an enforcement challenge to control fraud without false positives or degraded throughput. Aqua Security, which secures container-based and cloud-native applications from development to production. 
And finally, Excepto, which delivers continuous identity access protection by inferring contextual data to analyze and verify user identity and behavior. Our congratulations to all of them, and as we've said earlier, we're sure you'll be hearing from them in the future. Here's a disquieting story out of the American heartland that illustrates the importance of the customer's understanding exactly what the scope of a penetration test will be. A pair of coal-fire pen testers were arrested during an engagement at the Dallas County, Iowa courthouse. The Des Moines Register says that the Iowa Judicial Branch did indeed hire them to conduct penetration testing of court records, but that the court administrators did not expect physical penetration to be within the scope of the job. We hope the misunderstanding is cleared up soon. And finally, the Baltimore Sun reports that Baltimore has gotten around to realizing or at least acknowledging that it permanently lost some data in May's ransomware attack. The city now thinks backups are a good idea. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He's the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute, and he's also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast, Johannes, it's always great to have you back. Um, you have been tracking uh, some web spam systems that are using some stealthy methods here. What are you looking at? Oh, what's happening here is you may have seen that you're clicking on the link you're not supposed to click on, and uh, you're ending up at a compromised website that essentially delivers spam, some mm. advertisement for some product you probably don't want to buy. What usually happens here is a website gets compromised, an attacker will place that page on that website. The problem the attacker has, and well, attackers have problems too sometimes, is it's not all that straightforward for an attacker to necessarily update these pages. 
What they have done sometimes is, for example, set up some JavaScript on that page that will then go out and fetch uh, some HTML snippet from some backend server that the attacker runs and copy that data into the page. But uh, these outbound requests, of course, go to other compromised uh, web pages. And overall, this is a relatively fragile kind of setup. What attackers have done lately is they have discovered DNS. Now, in the past, there wasn't really a good way to sort of do a free form DNS request uh, with JavaScript. But uh, more recently, we have this new protocol, DNS over HTTPS. So what an attacker can do now, the attacker can use JavaScript's ability to send HTTPS requests to, for example, the Cloudflare DNS over HTTPS endpoint and use them to then do DNS requests. So the attacker now only has to manage a couple of DNS text records and deposit a JavaScript on the vulnerable page. The victim will really only see outbound HTTPS requests to Cloudflare, some of these sort of well-known uh, services, which of course now is much easy, much more difficult to detect as an anomaly. So what are your recommendations for folks to get on top of this? Really what you have to do is you have to, first of all, make sure that your website isn't vulnerable. And now what we typically see here is your standard vulnerable Drupal page or some of these you know, big content management systems that are all too often vulnerable. Secondly, watch for outbound requests from your web server. Really take a close look at them. Uh, there's only very little that really should connect outbound uh, from a web server to HTTPS sites. You may have some automatic updates running. Maybe you want to pull this in-house and set up your internal server that distributes these updates. It's usually a better way to go anyway if you want to sort of get control of your update mechanisms and block as much as possible of these outbound HTTPS requests. Of course, ideally for the remaining HTTPS requests that you do have to allow, yes, you, know, you may set up uh, some HTTPS proxy or so that should allow you to block these DNS over HTTPS requests. And how widespread is this? What are you seeing there? We don't really see it a lot yet. It really showed up just in a couple of cases, but it's one of those things I really expect to become more popular because it's very easy to copy this idea. So there isn't really much to it. An attacker who realizes, hey, this is actually how I'm able to fly under the radar and now my spam sites will survive a little bit longer than they used uh, to survive before uh, I did that. Uh, so I think it will probably pick up pretty quickly. All right. Well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Rosa Smothers. 
She's Senior Vice President of Cyber Operations at No Before. Rosa Smothers will be one of the speakers at our upcoming Women in Cybersecurity reception at the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., and No Before is one of our sponsors for the event. I began our conversation by asking her what sparked her initial interest in technology. Admittedly, probably growing up as a total Star Trek nerd had a lot to do with that. Mm. So I had a computer at a very young age, thanks to parents who really wanted me to uh, learn technology and not be intimidated by it. So I give a lot of credit to them for that. Um, My first computer was a used Commodore VIC-20 with a tape drive, like an actual cassette tape drive. I remember Um, those days. (laughs) And uh, it was just, to me, it was the gateway to another universe. And then, you know, things progressed. And then I had a computer with a modem and went on to bulletin boards. And then we all gained access to what we're now calling the Internet. So that was, you know, a lot of the late 80s and the 90s. Um, So I grew up with that movement. And so that was an exciting time. I was really fortunate to see all of that growth as it transpired. And so what were your thoughts as you headed off to college? I didn't think about the idea of formal education as much as I should have. I really uh, started out, I was so good with computers and networking and security and things that I actually started working full time and making a great living before I um, obtained my bachelor's degree. So I had an associate's. Actually, it was September 11 that changed the trajectory of my life in a rather dramatic way because um, after the attack, I decided I wanted to go work for the government and go fight the bad guys. So I left my job and went back to school full time. And I did a you know junior and senior year in one year's time. And then um, was initially hired on at the Defense Intelligence Agency. I worked there for about two and a half years as a a cyber threat analyst focusing on al-Qaeda. And um, then transitioned at that point over to the Central Intelligence Agency where I was for a little over 11 years, almost 12 years. Can you give us some insights as to what the atmosphere was like in those days? I, I can imagine... There was a lot of focus on on the mission at that time. You know, I think it was it was a jolt for our country. It was a jolt for the intelligence community. It's sometimes until an emergency happens that our agencies can't necessarily obtain the funding they need for the fight. And so once, God forbid, this emergency happened, um, the intelligence community received a huge surplus of funding. So there was a a hiring surge. There was a surge in uh, technology procurement and research, um, everything that you can think of because uh, it was such a dire need um, to expand in the area of counterterrorism that we really hadn't thought much about since, you know, Cobar Towers, the initial attack on the World Trade Center and even the uh, Hezbollah attacks in Lebanon. So it it was the immediacy of it spurred so many things into action so rapidly. And what was it like for you in terms of it being an opportunity for an environment in which to learn? It's not an understatement to say that the, the scope and depth 
of our intelligence community's resources is truly mind-boggling. So for anyone who loves a great learning opportunity, which I certainly do, I'm an avid reader, um, learning about all of the tools, techniques, and procedures, if you will, that are available to us uh, for fighting the good fight, it was quite an enlightening and often daunting experience. Now, as you looked around uh, during that time, when you were finishing up your education and then beginning your government career, were there very many other women uh, who were there along with you? Uh, there were women in the intelligence community, certainly, but not as nearly as many specifically in the technical field as much as I would hope. Um, and that's certainly not to say that the intelligence community isn't doing their darndest to hire uh, qualified personnel of, you know, any gender, any um, cultural status, any minority status. I think the, the challenge as I see it is also it's, it's really stimulating the interest in um, technology when they're young. Um, I was so gratified when I, I read recently that the Girl Scouts are now giving out STEM badges. And I think it's, it's things like that that are going to increase the role of women in the cyber workplace because, you know, they can't hire us if we're not there and we're not qualified. So I'm, I'm hoping as time goes by, our numbers will increase and the hiring pool will thus increase. I'm often asked, when, you know, and I, I travel a lot for my position here at Nobefore, and so whenever I'm having those um, conversations next to people in the, the airplane on a long flight, and I'm asked, you know, what would, you know, I have a son, I have a daughter, they're 13, 14, 15, what, what would you do? I start with giving them my business card and letting them know I'd be happy to talk with them at any time. Hmm. To encourage them, but the one thing that I always try to drive home, especially even if they're small children, there are so many apps out there that are learning opportunities, even for computer programming, for coding. There is such a dire need for good coding out there, and we're definitely not filling that bill. So that's something that I always encourage people to consider, you know, finding those apps in the various app stores that can help kids learn and in a fun way because, you know, it's not only a constructive use of their time, but it's also can bolster those technical skills and provide them a, a really promising career. They will always have job security with a skill set like that. I want to touch on our upcoming Women in Cybersecurity reception, which you're going to be a part of, and uh, we're grateful for No Before for being a sponsor of. Um, why do you think events like this are important? Why do they matter? Anytime you can build community and consensus, it's an important thing. I mean, we're social animals. And anytime we can come together and share uh, similar experiences or challenges and, and be frank and open and honest, and I think sometimes it's also uh, providing a, a blunt series of feedback regarding sometimes we're not as forthcoming or as forthright, I should say, uh, as forthright in the workplace as we should be. I've had a number of conversations with women that, you know, they struggle with that, 
you know, I want to be liked and I want to be respected. And I said, well, if you're if you're you're doing your job well, that respect will come. Don't worry about those things. These will all come in due course. You know, focus on your technical skills. Um, so I think in encouraging one another to um, be strong, to stand up, to not be quite so docile. You know, a, a lot of women tend to say, you know, I was just wondering. No, you have a question. Hmm. You know, it's a different way of making the same statement, but they sound very different to those who hear it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's even those sort of little coaching moments, I think, are hugely significant. So I, you know, I think any community building opportunity, especially for women in the technical field, should always be taken full advantage of. That's Rosa Smothers. She's the Senior Vice President of Cyber Operations at Know Before. You can find out more about our Women in Cybersecurity reception by going to thecyberwire.com slash WCS. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey, all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes, and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire. 
and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.